The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you very much, Martha and Bruni, uh, for the warm welcome. Can everyone in the back hear me? Yes? Okay, I'm seeing some thumbs up. Uh, if at any point you cannot hear, if there's a sound problem, please do speak up. Um, so this is the first time I've been here. I'm very impressed and pleased to, to be here and uh, particularly to look around and see all of, all of you who've arrived here. Some of you are probably come here regularly. Others of you uh, may be new. So I'm just going to take a moment and uh, invite you to just look around with a very kind and friendly gaze. Greet people with your eyes. We're here in community. Just take a look around and register that everyone here has made an effort. You've made an effort to come here with your precious time on this beautiful morning to be in spiritual community, to do the meditation practice, and to hear the Dharma. That really means something. It really means something. The title of my talk connects to that, and it's called um, Let's All Become Buddhas Together, The Importance of Spiritual Friendship. So something that wasn't in my uh, bio is that I entered the Dharma I guess over 30 years ago, well over 30 years ago, through the doorway of Korean Zen Buddhism in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And my experience has included both monastic and lay practice. When I was in the monastery in South Korea in 1987 and 88, I learned um, this phrase, and if there are those of you who speak Korean and I don't get it correct, uh, please bear with me or forgive me. Uh, so in, when I was in South Korea in the monastery, we learned the phrase, Songbul Hashipshio. Songbul Hashipshio. And I was told that that translates as, let's all become Buddhas together. At my home temple, which, it, which is East Bay Meditation Center in downtown Oakland, we have a diversity and social justice-centered mission. Uh, So around four years ago, we faced a lease crisis in our old location, which was just a small storefront on Broadway at 22nd, and we urgently needed to find um, a new place. And as we were looking around, we had a real estate agent, and we kept looking here and thinking no, and looking there and thinking no, Uh, And then a place that we found that was a possibility was on the second floor of a building in downtown Oakland. And there were stairs and there was an elevator. And the folks in our disability community who are very active said, uh, absolutely not. There could be a fire. There could be uh, an earthquake, in which case the elevators would stop running and it would be a real difficulty and a danger for us. So we don't really feel safe being on a second floor. And they really planted a flag and said, said our motto at East Bay Meditation Center needs to be this, all of us or none of us. And we did, in fact, 
uh, I was on the board at the time, and we did, in fact, uh, contemplate that if we could not find a suitable place, it might mean that we needed to close our doors and go dormant for a long time or a short time or indefinitely, that the future would be uncertain. And we decided that th because our community was saying that these were their needs, and it certainly made sense that that is what we would do. The power of community. And Thich Nhat Hanh, the well-known Zen Vietnamese, uh, uh, Vietnamese Zen Buddhist master, has said very boldly that Maitreya Buddha, the Buddha of the future, will not be an individual, but a community will not be an individual, so we won't be looking around thinking, wow, are you Maitreya Buddha, or are you Maitreya Buddha? Is the Dalai Lama Maitreya Buddha? Thich Nhat Hanh has said, uh, don't look for an individual, look for a community. Thus, in Sangha, which is the community of mindful practitioners and practitioners of mindfulness, those of us here today, in other words, and people around the world in many traditions who are practicing uh, mindfulness, compassion, love, understanding, the way of peace. Uh, thus, in Sangha, I think it's important to find every possible way to encourage the growth of spiritual friendships. Every possible way to encourage the growth of spiritual friendships. The ancient Pali word for that in the Buddhist uh, languages, uh, ancient languages, is kalyanamita, as I understand it, Sanskrit kalyanamitra. So it's all the same root, mita, uh, mitra, maitri. There's a maitri hospice that was started from uh, Hartford Street Zen Center many years ago, I believe, in San Francisco. Uh, so it means friendship. Where can we go for spiritual friendship? For s friendship in community that supports our spiritual growth, that supports our spiritual growth in the path of the Buddha our spiritual growth is in the direction of what's called enlightenment. And um, sometimes it's translated as awakening. And of course, if we're curious and intelligent human beings, which we are, we might inquire and ask ourselves, what do we awaken to? I'm really don't like the word enlightenment, but that's commonly used. What is being, what is light being shed on? Uh, where's, where, where are we going with this? And that would be something that we search for through the teachings and also in our own practice. Some of us may be here for stress reduction. Others may be on a Buddhist path. There's likely to be a great deal of diversity in this room. And for all of us, each and every one of us, I really recommend that you find the ways to encourage Kalyanamita, Kalyanamitra, spiritual friendship and community. 
and um, to simultaneously deepen, I hope, and politicize this Dharma talk. I propose this summer morning, during this election year, during this period in the history of the United States and beyond, in which we're seeing the continuance of the Black Lives Matter movement, of the movement in this country for a living wage, of the movement for the rights and the safety of undocumented immigrants, of LGBTQI rights, and I want to take a moment and acknowledge that when I checked the headlines this morning, there was an act of horrific violence in a gay nightclub called Pulse in Orlando, Florida last night. And I request that you send your prayers, you send your wishes and your loving kindness, your metta, to all of those affected by that violence. We'll see more news about it later today. And in light of all of the desperate and liberatory people's movements now happening all over the world that we need to look at deeply and continuously, as continuously, so that's mindfulness too, I would propose. It's mindfulness to know, and we don't want to overwhelm or depress ourselves, but as caring people, We want to know what's happening in the world, what is happening um, in terms of people's movements. As continuously as we try to be mindful in returning to the physical sensations of the breath or to whatever the object of our form of meditation is. Looking deeply, looking continuously together in relationship to one another. In relationship to one another. So as you're doing your sitting meditation, maybe your eyes are closed. If not, they may be open a little bit in a soft, unfocused way. And so we become highly aware of what's happening in this body-mind that we call me, And are we forming a kind of a little bubble around ourselves where everything else is shut up and shut out? Well, shut up and shut out. Uh, Or can we also maintain mindfulness of how we're always part? We are inextricably part of the web of life. We're hearing the sounds. You know, there's a person or persons in that vehicle They have sorrows. They have joys. We don't know who they are. They're they're part of our human family. We might hear the birds, perhaps the sound of wind. Are we aware of the physical presence of our friends around us? What is our attitude towards being in community? These are vital questions not only for ourselves as social beings, social spiritual beings, these are also vital questions for 
I just don't think it's too um, dramatic to say for the survival, really, of the planet in the situation we're looking at today. And I say that as a mother of an only child who's now 27 uh, and someone who's worked a lot with children, younger people, um, throughout my life as a parent. To ask whether um, we are creating not only community, but whether as people living near to one another in the United States in June 2016, so I'm situating us in time, situating us in space, human being is never without a context, whether to ask we are also creating beloved community. Are we creating beloved community? As most of you know, that's a term that was used during the civil rights era by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and has very, very specific meaning uh, that we can look at that operates on so many dimensions. The spiritual dimension, the social dimension, the political dimension. Um, Is this beloved community? Because after all, this is more than an academic or abstract question. This is not an abstract question. We live in earthquake country. And really, at any moment, those of us together this morning, we've come together through various causes and conditions, at any moment, we might need one another in ways that are highly intimate and highly unromantic. And without alarming you, so if you know you have an anxiety issue, you might want to just block this out. Uh, however, this is this is a point of public safety and awareness. Uh, this is the this is a situation in which we live. Really, at any moment, the people whom we're with, with whom we are, you're all going to be our community. We're all going to be community to one another. If we suddenly need one another. Uh, should there, should the big one suddenly manifest? And that's something to keep in mind. That essential human bond in moments of crisis, which asks, even if I am not your parent, your child, your sibling, your neighbor, your coworker, even if I am not in those relationships to you, if, even if I've never met you, Will you help me? Will you be my community member? Will you be my spiritual friend? And we may ask ourselves whether this practice of meditation, which I'm becoming more and more aware isn't really all that easy to do, and which we have all come to via our own life pathways for our own um, reasons, whether this sitting together or lying down together, if people need to lie down, and breathing together in silence will help us to understand not only ourselves, but will help us to reach out to one another across lines of race, of ethnicity, of socioeconomic class, whether we can reach out to one another Uh, across lines of gender identity, country of origin, language, 
ability and disability, military status, all of the many ways in which we differ? Or will we need something more than meditation? And if so, what is it that we need to truly create beloved community? So as I understand it, the Buddha, the historical Buddha Shakyamuni, who lived around 2,600 years ago in what is now India, he was really big. He was big on spiritual friendship, on Kalyanamita relationships, on spiritual friendship uh, with not just anyone, but concentrating on what I believe Tanisaro Bhikkhu calls admirable friends. He translates, I believe, Kalyanamita as admirable friends. In other words, we need to include all the parts of ourselves, including all of the painful and hurt and shamed and politically incorrect parts of ourselves, while simultaneously learning to bring out the best, the wisest, the most compassionate qualities in ourselves, and in one another. In the Metta Sutta, the Buddha's discourse on loving kindness and on goodwill, it says that the quality of Metta, this loving kindness, omits none. It excludes no one. And it also excludes no part of our inner family, our inner self. So I did bring along a couple of books today, and one is, I believe, is on the bestseller list. It's called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma with, by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, MD. And I heard from the announcements that some of you will be studying Rick Hansen's excellent book, uh, Buddha's Brain. So this uh, might be of interest to you as well. And Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, an expert on the suffering of complex trauma and author of the book that I just showed you, has said, becoming mindful about yourself is not as important as being mindful with compassion. Why does he say this? In my understanding, it's because for so many of us, we can become mindfully aware of our thoughts, of our emotions, of our body sensations. And you put all of this together and it creates what we call me. That kind of moving target. That's always uh, this, these streaming processes of thoughts, of perceptions, of body sensations, ideas, opinions, memories. We can be mindful about all of that so we might become aware and that what Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is saying in terms as I understand it, well, we, we might become mindfully aware, for instance, that we have a very strong inner critic that tells us I'm a bad person. Anything I do is not going to succeed. I'm an awkward person. Uh, I'm, I have so much shame because of what happened to me, uh, or maybe because of things I did. And those thoughts do not actually help us. 
if they continue to just dig in deeper and deeper. So are we becoming mindful about ourselves as individuals and as a community? And are we, more importantly, becoming mindful with compassion? When we can truly accept ourselves, be compassionate toward ourselves, we open to others. This is organic, and it is inevitable. It's almost really a cliché that we can't love others unless we love ourselves. And it's a cliché because it's so darn true. If we do not open to others, then it is not true compassion, I would say. So once again, Songbul Hashipshio, let's all become Buddhas together. Creating beloved community this year, next year, and beyond is an urgent matter. And it's something that is extremely important, I feel, to remember that we're not just engaged in healing ourselves as individuals, we're also simultaneously reaching out to others with compassion to try to form containers such as this one here in which spiritual growth, connection, love, healing, increased understanding, the ability to cross lines of difference and join together in community that all of this is happening as well in our practice. One of my very favorite books is called Natural Wakefulness, Discovering the Wisdom We Were Born With. This is by my friend Acharya Galan Ferguson. He's with Shambhala, the Shambhala organization. And very wonderful teacher. I think he's just come out with a new book called Natural Bravery. He was, uh, I believe, a student of uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Uh, They're headquartered in Boulder, Colorado. So in Natural Wakefulness, um, Galen says this. And he talks about how committed practitioners of meditation often uh, want and need to seek out and, you know, Folks, I have to give it to you for those of you who do residential retreats, if you're able to do so, not everyone is. Uh, carving out that time, spending that money is, is a real commitment. So it's, it's wonderful, it's good for deepening practice. And Acharya Ferguson says that the downside of retreats is the subtle implication that meditation and spirituality are special activities. Set apart from deadlines and dirty dishes, removed from freeways and year-end fiscal reports. We may approach meditation practice as an extraordinary activity, rare and elevated, as though the path were about becoming the spiritual equivalent of an Olympic gymnast. Such an approach belies the utter naturalness of meditation. The utter naturalness of meditation. Meditation, as we're performing it here, this mindfulness that we're practicing together, uh, I believe it's our human birthright. It's something we can share naturally with everyone. So some of you know me and you know um, 
this this story. I still think it's uh, I think it's a pretty good one. Where uh, many years ago, I was uh, passing by a three year old who was sitting on a couch, and this was a very active uh, child. Some thought hyperactive, but you know, kids are peppy. They just really are extremely peppy, often disruptive, and that's just they're just doing their thing. So this child, who was extremely peppy normally, was sitting completely still. I mean, not a hair was moving on his body. Just sitting still, cross-legged, like a Buddha on the couch. So I, of course, rudely interrupted and said, (laughs) what are you doing? And the child said, I'm enjoying my body. I said, that's good. Why don't you just keep on doing that? So mindfulness of body sensations, mindfulness of body sensations, utterly natural if we can allow it to happen. If the kid isn't being bombarded by, you know, all the stimuli, create spaces in which that can happen, folks. I really invite you to do that for yourself and others and children. Viewing spiritual practices in this way, we short-circuit the possibilities for meditation in action. If meditation is truly the expression of our original nature, then that nature can be expressed wherever we are at any moment. At home with family, at work, in a movie theater, or listening to music, wakefulness is there And this wakefulness is the way. The way of natural wakefulness finds spiritual nourishment in being with others, in experiences of living and working in community, our neighborhoods, online chat groups and wikis, the people we work with and relax with in play and sports. Our original Nature is a fundamental human heartedness, the empathy of our basic humanity. There is something in us that deeply appreciates and enjoys friendship, companions, and family connections. Therefore, natural wakefulness flowers as the experience of being in community. We don't need to aggressively grasp after higher states of consciousness, Acharya Ferguson says. The light touch of awareness is all that is needed. We don't need to force the rays of the sun to radiate. Radiating warmth and light is the spontaneous practice of the sun. We'll have Q&A in a moment. We have some time. And I'll end by thanking you very much for your kind attention, for your practice, for your spiritual life, for your efforts to build community. And as my late friend Baba Ibrahim of the Star King School for the Ministry, uh, he was a, a Sufi Muslim 
a community leader says, may all who seek find. So for those of you who are seekers, may you find what you seek. May all who love be made whole. Thank you. And my understanding is we now have a little over 10 minutes, and we welcome any questions that you may have, and as well as your own insights. Do we pass the mic so that people can hear it? Yes. Did you? I think this is the one that's working. Yeah, um, I was hearing about the community, um, how to um, uh, I mean um, as a community we have to act and uh, so actually uh, each one has uh, internal world I mean each world is different each person has its own world uh, internally so the outer world, inner world what I mean. So when each has a different view of the same world, how they can um, work as a community in a better way, uh, in a common way. Because each has creates their own world internally. Um, so how uh, we can work as a harmonious community. Thank you very much. Um, could I ask your name? Balaji. Balaji? Balaji. Balaji? Balaji. Yeah. Thank you very much. That is a really wonderful question. And so um, this is just me. You could get different answers from different people. What I think we need to do when we gather in community, at least for part of the time, is hear one another's stories and hear parts of each other's experience that we may not resonate with, that may be different or strange to us, uh, that may be interesting or not interesting, but actually spend some time in community telling each other our stories, uh, relating our experiences, maybe from our childhood, from the cultures which from which we've emerged. And in that way, that's a very just kind of a natural thing, right? The so storytelling is, goes on in all traditional cultures. In that way, then our inner worlds are made visible to one another, and we all grow larger. Thank you. Thank you. This is uh, related to the last question and, and what you've been, something you said earlier about we all could become one's, I don't know if you use the word family, uh, at any moment, unexpectedly. Yes. Um, and I'd like to reference the last question, uh, and I, I, I enjoyed your answer, that we need to get to know one another. Uh, the question is about the practice of 
not having the opportunity to get to one to know one another, but in a moment, this, the mind that in a moment can become everybody's family when it's necessary. So the question's a little open-ended, a little bit vague, but I'm curious about the, that as a practice, or if it is a practice, or if the practice is just that. Thank you. What's your name? Arthur. Art? Arthur. Arthur. Thank you, Arthur. Um, so insofar as I understand what you are saying, yes, definitely huge practices. And one of them, as I understand it, would be in the Buddhist point of view, in which it is posited that we all evolve through many, many lifetimes, that this body that you're seeing here, uh, which had a beginning point when I was born, and which will have an end point when it will dissolve into its constituent parts and change uh, rather dramatically, although it's always, always changing. So my understanding is that in the Buddhist way of life, we, we do look at evolution over many, many lifetimes. And therefore, therefore, we could just, even though we don't have any way of knowing, whenever we see any other human being, and in fact any being, uh, but it's definitely with humans, no matter how annoying they are to us, or wrong-headed, or whatever, you know, just completely alien to us, I, I believe in the Buddhist point of view, we can look at them and think, well, were we related in a previous lifetime? Maybe you were my mother. Maybe you were my father. Maybe you were my boss. Maybe you were my child. Uh, and that it's no mistake that we've come into contact with one another, even very briefly. Because of this point of view, then naturally arises this immense respect and the potential for love between, uh, between all human beings. Because we can look upon one another as, as relations. We are related to one another. We just don't know exactly how. It's also true, as my original Zen teacher said, he said there are relatives of affinity and there are relatives of no affinity. <laughs> So with some, our bonds of affinity are less, and yet um, that's, that would be a spiritual practice. In fact, I think there's a children's book, isn't there? Where is it a duck or some baby animals going around to everything it meets saying, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Are you my mother? And uh, even though I'm presenting this in a whimsical fashion, it's actually a very profound kind of practice. Does that help? Thank you. I see a hand in back of you, Martha. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this is more a comment than a question. Your last answer just brought to mind that um, I heard, there's an imam um, on Talpi who goes around the country really... Um, urging interfaith uh, understanding. And someone in the audience asked him, um, do you consider these terrorists, you know, these Muslim terrorists to be Muslim because Muslim is a peace-loving religion, etc." And he said, absolutely. He said, you can't just um, 
you know, disown your crazies. We need to own our crazies. Otherwise, it's a cop-out. And I feel like that's related to what you're saying because even the people that we, you know, not just don't like but really, you know, abhor or uh, that, they, that we're, we, are, we are related anyway. Thank you very much. Thank you. What's your name? Nancy. Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. Um, once again, I've heard this so many times. You all may have heard it many times. I think it's true, and that is that hurt people hurt people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, hurt people hurt people. And that's my really operating assumption. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to protect ourselves, our families, our children, our schools, um, our frail elderly those of us with disabilities, everyone really. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to protect um, everyone and all of us. Uh, it, it does mean that to do so from the place of compassion and wanting to understand is different than condemning and excluding. Thank you. I'm happy that you're here. Bruni and I have known each other for many years. (laughs) (laughs) So a prayer from Maha Gosananda came to mind. And I don't remember very well, but um, the key phrases are that um, to have a world at peace, we need a community at peace to have a community at peace, a family at peace, and it, all, it goes all the way down to, to us, to the, to the individual. So the question is um, how internal mindfulness, you know, mindfulness of the breath, body, emotions, thoughts, states of mind, extend into mindfulness of the breath, body, feelings, thoughts, states of mind of a community? Would that be a possibility to see without discarding our uniqueness? Um, very definitely. Very, very definitely. Um, and, and so we can consider that the human family, the community that's here this morning in terms of human beings um, is our body in a sense. It's our extended body. And if someone here uh, should, be, should be hurt, should suffer a medical crisis, we'll all be indirectly or more directly affected. We all will have a responsibility to get out those cell phones that you seem to have politely put on silence and call 911. And I'm, I know that would happen. I can just look around and look at I know that that will, that that will happen. Uh, we can ask ourselves, what is the breath of the community? What is the body of the community? What are the mental uh, states of the community? What is our contribution to our community's mental health? What is our contribution to our family and our, our community's physical health and well-being? Uh, these are all extensions of our own body. <laughs> 